Alright, what was that? There is a war going on. Just close the door. Chill out, man. I feel like you're in a war or something. I don't know if it was the mad cow or it was like, you know, the air raid sirens last night. Or the constant sound of bullets and explosions. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. <sighs> I was just starting to feel good and stuff, and it's kind of crazy. I'm already just not feeling good. It's kind of like, how does how is that possible? <laughs> Fuck. I mean, we're in a place that's like designed to give us anxiety. Yeah. We already have anxiety. It's literally hell on earth, and we've been to hell before in our yeah. hell This is like earth. tied so far. Not great. I mean, we lucked out. Yeah. You know, ending up where we did in the uh, podcast wing <laughs> of the military. Yeah. I guess that's why we got drafted, not for our, like, cunning, just not cunning. Yeah. We're not smart enough. And what's strong enough? Like I'm too tall to fit in the actual trenches, except for whatever reason, they still send me to the front to get like check it out. Yeah, to get like field recordings and to get mm. interviews and stuff with the soldiers on the front. So apparently I'm not too tall yeah. to be inside the trenches for that, but apparently I'm too tall to be in the trenches to fight. So I don't really get why I'm here at all. <sighs> Disposable. Yeah, we're we're like the expendable. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? I didn't. That's a good war film. Is it? Yeah, kind of. I mean, not really. As Phil said, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the podcast wing. Good morning, Patrol Cinecast! This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here today with my little army boy, Phil. How's it going, Phil? How are you doing? How are you? How are you getting through all this? How's everything going? Have you written home to Dusty yet? Have you written home to Dusty? She keeps asking me if you're going to write home to her. She's sending She's me letters because you. you're not like, you're not writing She's her not back. She's asking letters. how She's you're doing. You letters. I'll get to it. <laughs> I'm dearly missing my uh, beloved friends and family. I've just, I'm sort of just welcoming, you know, I'm always afraid to die like at home. And now it's like. <laughs> The threat that it's just like, it's like immediate. It's like it actually could happen. <laughs> yeah. Kind of relaxing. You know, it's like, I already live in Snowho. It sounds like a battlefield outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been prepped for this moment. And these, these, um, these booths, I'm pretty sure are bulletproof. I'm not sure, Ooh. actually. That'd be a hard thing to test. There's a couple of holes in one next to me, so you can see that. No, that's just like, a, so people can hear you. Like a bank teller thing. Oh. Like the speaker. Yeah. I mean, they're. It's not in any shape or order, but I'm pretty sure that there's <laughs> a couple of pieces of shrapnel in there. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh, um, I'm sure it's fine. It's I'm sure it's fine. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't put us anywhere dangerous. Right? I mean, I literally was in the trenches <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. So. I, th- I think I got by with my gammy foot thing. I haven't had to go yet. Yeah. Pretty lucky. You don't really have yeah. to do much at all. Like you're just here, just to drink coffee and chat shit. It's pretty yeah. good. Coffee's pretty good, actually. Pretty good for the front. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, for the front. Yeah. yeah. People always say like the front is such a horrible place. But it's like, yeah, give it a try first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, Phil and I have been drafted to war, and uh, you know, Phil, what I always have to say is, uh, what is it good for? One, two, yeah, what is it 
Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Listen to me. It's our new arc, ladies and gentlemen. War. What is it good for? Hollywood movies. Yeah, it's still in poor taste. It's still in poor taste, but that's the bit. Um, yeah. Like, isn't it coincidence that like did that we got drafted and then we did a war season, or did we get drafted? I'm asking you. Did we get drafted and decided to do a war season? <laughs> Or are like, are we being made to? Or like, this one's just a good idea. Because what else do you talk about? Well, I guess you're being made to. I don't really know. <laughs> like, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't decide these things. They just come to me. Yeah. I would rather be talking about young Sheldon. But yeah. Instead. Yeah. Definitely would rather be talking about young Sheldon. That's a war in itself. There's always wars going on in my mind. In his little mind. Yeah. You know, instead of I'm grappling with like the moral ambiguity of humanity. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be doing that. Um, but, you know, I, yeah. I was watching a bunch of war movies over the holidays and um, I don't know why. As you do. Like Christmas Day, literally watching like Saving Private Ryan, I think. And uh, as you do. And yeah, uh, as you do. Well, you know, you're like, <laughs> for them, right? Yeah. Well, I, I messaged you ages ago. Because I was like, just had this dumbass idea. Like, let's talk about some war movies. And I was just yeah. like, and the theme song could be. It was the war. theme song first. What is it good for? Hollywood movies. <laughs> and that's true. It is. And you can say it's in poor taste, but then you say that to the film industry. Yeah. Because they love exploiting the casualties of war. That's Absolutely. not one of the films we're going to be doing. We, we waited a good seven months to do this because there was an actual war that kicked off around that time. So, like, it would have been really bad taste back then when yeah. we originally had the idea to do this at the beginning of the year. But uh, mm. anyway, I mean, it's still in poor taste. <laughs> it's still in poor taste, but it's softened a bit. Yeah, it's softened a little bit. People were more concerned about the heat wave last week and stuff and mm. uh, upcoming prime minister elections and all that sort of shit. So who gives a shit? Um, so yeah, the next eight weeks, Phil and I are going to be looking at some of the best war and war adjacent movies around eight weeks, sort of going in order, Phil, like sort of in chronological in order, order of in order of war of war. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going in war order. So we're going to start with the first devil war. It's a crime pod ever now. documented in film. Yeah. It's yeah. a crime pod. This is a true life, true crime pod now. Yeah, well, Phil, before we really get into like what movie uh, we're going to be Hot kicking takes this on the off, war. <laughs> off with, we are kicking off with the World War One movie. But before we get into it, I kind of want to like ask you your thoughts and opinions on war movies. And war. Uh, like, do you like them before we really kick off? And also, like, what are some good war films that predate World War One? Because for whatever reason, you wouldn't let me talk about The Patriot. It, Go. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about. I'm sorry. I didn't want to talk about Mel, Mel Gibson in another like boring period piece. What about Heath Ledger? Yeah. Um, oh man, war. the Patriot's so good though because it's so <laughs> shit. It's so good because it's so shit. It's like the proper like, hey, let's indoctrinate all these 
stupid American people and with this dumbass Mel Gibson, like, hey, he's, he's a patriot. Oh, <laughs> oh the patriot. He ended, he ended the British people because he was smart enough to go hang out in the woods instead of stand facing people face on with guns shooting at each other. Why did they fight like that back then? It's so <laughs> stupid. At least this film, they're, they're kind of doing that, but they're hiding like in a trench. Like, you know, yeah. it's like people trench were dumb warfare. until trench warfare was offended. That's one thing. I didn't want to be like this yeah. dumb the whole time. Being like, why it's, did everyone, anyone ever fight like yeah, this? It is completely dumb. War is dumb. Yeah. War is dumb. You know it's what? good for I'm Hollywood movies. I mean, like that song Controversial. Was right. It slaps. Yeah. yeah. No, it fucking slaps. Um, but, you know, controversial. But uh, war does suck. I'm not, not a fan of it. Yeah, I can't believe and, you would say that, Phil. There's so many like yeah. you know young kids who are geared up to go to the military now that you're just breaking their hearts. Well, I feel like they're being taken advantage of. Of so, course they are. Of course <laughs> they are. And it's all just you know video games and heavy metal. Yeah. Um, doing it, and I mean I th- I think that segues nicely into like my opinion of war movies. There are lots of great war movies. Yeah. Obviously, I'm looking at the list that we're gonna that we're doing, and I don't want to actually say them. No, yeah, give yeah. out each one at the end of the episode like we've been doing lately. So the next episode will be revealed at the end. Don't skip to the end. Come on. Yeah, come on. Like listen to the whole thing. My I th- you know, I think it just depends on what you're trying to say with it. You know, I'm not saying anything here. So it, I just wanted it, to like, talk about some war movies and it just got delayed 7 months because of a um because of real life actual war. war. But like war films you know, are you trying to say that you basically feel like war about war movies the way you feel about any movie? It's like some are good, some are bad. <laughs> it's like eh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, I feel like I have a, I feel like I have like a problem with more war movies, especially now. Yeah, and that they just have nothing to say beyond <laughs> war is bad. That's how I felt when I watched like nineteen seventeen. Yeah. You know, like it's a very gimmicky movie for one and one that doesn't do the gimmick very well. And it's like, but what do you learn? What do you get out of that movie that you didn't already know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's my problem with war movies and a lot like sort of, you know, and, and what I just jokingly did, like not to be controversial guy, but war is bad. Um, but, you know, like there's also a great war movie that, you know, challenge the system that like, put people in that position or like complexity of like human nature and like this thing we're constantly fighting within ourselves and then when that becomes destroying each other yeah and like then usually two kinds of war movies as well there's like two human wars stuff. two wars there's <laughs> like battlefield stuff and yeah. then there's like uh human stuff like pavilion mm-hmm. stuff yeah and some do it together we'll have a little bit of that I think we have a really good, well-balanced uh, arc of films coming here. I think so. And, and for pre-World War One war movies, Troy is pretty good. Yeah. The one, the, the one that we might do for a special anniversary episode that I think is a good war movie, even though it's a bit fantasy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's based, it's based on a real war. I, I genuinely didn't care to even do this but you know i'm a sucker for a gimmick and i somehow listened to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should even though it's fucking up the cron pod uh, <laughs> the cr- uh, so next um, week doesn't count and because of that i'm gonna like have to say that we're gonna have to add in one extra film 
okay. into, into the list and uh it's it'll be apparent which film as we get on in this episode <laughs> um there's also like yeah there's like civil war movies that like glory that like yeah native american stuff i would like like you know westerns that deal with those sorts of conflicts and yeah that's, that's some good one but i think um star wars the obvious choice star wars eh? yeah a okay. long time ago yeah in the past definitely happened before world war one so. <laughs> prove uh, me wrong there's one I really want them to make, uh, and I feel like I've talked about this at the cinema before with the, quite a few people, um, is uh, I'd like to see them make Blood Meridian, which kind of like is it would be slightly dealing McCarthy? with the, yeah, Cormac Cormac McCarthy book. Yeah, because it's like such a fucking intense book, but it's like it weaves in like, you know, I think it was like the Spanish-American War and stuff, post-Civil War, Spanish-American War sort of like area like that the story like weaves through. Plus there's just mm. like chaos around it. Like um, I feel like I want to see that on a big screen, but it's just never going to get made. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, I just I jokingly was talking about The Patriot, but like it is one of those films that's kind of funny to watch just because it's a, it's a laugh. We, we could have done Braveheart. Long. Braveheart, yeah. Um, there's... We could have done just inadvertently done a Mad Max season. <laughs> which should which yeah. tell me which one is in worst taste? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Any, I guess anything. Uh, Any the Kurosawa stuff. Yeah. Those are good war movies. Could oh like yeah, feudal Kurosawa. Japan stuff. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Kurosawa. Like we should talk about some, but like I feel like it just in itself could just be like a, a small run of Kurosawa films that we could do in the future someday. Yeah. And we're talking about like Hollywood, how Hollywood yeah. exploits and bastardized real world events for Absolutely. profit reasons. And we're starting that off with a hot world war one movie from a young and up and coming director that of course was being uh, molded by Hollywood until he obviously took some LSD or something and then just trip balls and start making like some really insane films. What film are we talking about today, Phil? Past, past the glory. P.O.G. Pog. Pog. Pog the back, baby. Yeah. Colonel, your regiment is going to take the anthill tomorrow. It's the key to the whole German position in this sector. More than half my men will be killed. Yes, it's a terrible price to pay, Colonel. But we will have the anthill. The troops are mutinying, refusing to advance. Order the 75s to commence firing on our own positions. General Court Martial. These men are charged with cowardice in the face of the enemy. If those little sweethearts won't face German bullets, they'll face French ones. Is it true that you've been designated a coward simply and purely because you drew a slip of paper marked X? Yes, sir. To find these men guilty will be a crime. To haunt each of you to the day you die. Therefore, I humbly beg you, show mercy to these men. During World War I, the commanding officer of the French Army, General Brulard, played by Adolphe Mingeau, uh, or I think that's how you say it. Unfortunate name. name. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, seriously. Orders his subordinate General Miro, played by George McCready, to attack a German trench position, offering a promotion as an incentive. Though the mission is foolhardy to the point of suicide, Moreau commands his own subordinate, Colonel Dax, played by Kirk fucking Douglas, with his fucking t-shirt off, like, fucking just fucking nude in the buff, like, built like a brick shit house. <laughs> just the ch- chin of Michael a god. Michael Douglas wishes. Do you think Kirk <laughs> Douglas ever, like, you know, just looked at his son Michael and was just disappointed? Like, just, he, yeah, he just hung like- on for so long. Because he, he, was he was like just 104 hoping. when yeah, he died. He was just hoping that Michael would one day become a man. <laughs> one day you'll become a man. <laughs> God damn and it, you'll, Michael. Yeah, you'll stop doing this bullshit erotic thriller. <laughs> I was in the trenches, God damn it. Uh, sorry. Uh, he, he commands his own subordinate, Colonel Dax, played by Kirk Douglas, to plan the attack. When it ends in disaster, General Moreau demands the court-martial of three random soldiers in order to save face. It's the 1957 anti-war film directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Kubrick, Calder Willingham, and Jim Thompson. Hot takes out the gate, Phil. What are we seeing? <sighs> Paths of glory. Think? What are we saying? Oh, man. This movie is fucked up, isn't it? It's very it's fucked up. It's fucked up, man. Had you seen this before? I can't remember when we were planning this. Never seen that. This was one of my picks where I was like, we should do Paths we of should Glory. Do this. If we're doing a yeah. World War One film, Paths of Glory is a good yeah. one. Yeah, and you wouldn't let me do like Wonder Woman. No. <laughs> <laughs> I almost spit um, out my cough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not the decaf. No, this is caffeinated <laughs> this week, folks. Uh, it's I got the good stuff on the front. Um, <laughs> hey, thank you, mm. Colonel Plink Patton. Uh, where are we? <laughs> what war? World War One. Um, Who were the famous generals back then? The greatest generation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, man, I'd not seen this movie, and it was not what I expected. I, I was expecting a more like, like, on the ground, like, like boots on the floor, like, like trench movie, and that's like the first third of this. Yeah, and then it becomes something even better. Yeah. It becomes <laughs> yeah. it becomes it becomes my favorite kind of movie. It becomes a courtroom drama. Yes, yeah. and that's my shit, dude. Yeah, and it's just Kirk Douglas is delivering like amazing speeches about like compassion and humanity, and it's just like in a place that just it where it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and then it becomes oh man, it beca- I don't even know what it becomes at the end. It just like sort of. Just like a really, it becomes a prison movie. Yeah. As well, like it, like a death row drama. It has and it all. Following yeah. the last three, these last three guys waiting to die, and it's like really harrowing mm. to just sit with these characters, and they all like like sort of react differently. It's very like Jesus, the stages of the cross. It feels like that, and you know they sort of tease. I don't think it's teeth, but like there's a sort of glimmer of hope for a brief moment. And but it gives you the realistic ending, and it's just so fucking bleak. Yeah. But it, but it also has a really good like sort of like last little bit, like the actual ending. It's quite beautiful in a really weird way, in a really dark way, and like this just one little moment shine, and you sort of see what's being lost. You know, on the front line, and yeah. like 
So for all those reasons, it was much better than I expected. And it's fun to this is the earliest I've been with Kubrick. So it's, it's interesting to see like his style grow. Like it's there. It's very like carefully composited and controlled and um, choreographed. Um, and shot beautifully. Mm. And it's, you know, he'd done an anti-war kick and he would continue that for a while. Yeah. This is like it sits in that like quadrilogy of anti-war films. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of his first films, <clears throat> sorry, Fear and Desire is sort of like a anti-war film. Mm-hmm. And then he did this and then he did um, Dr. Strange Love. Oh, well, yeah, Spartacus as well kind of sits in there as well. Um, yeah. And then he did Dr. Strange Love and then he did Full Metal Jacket. So Full he's Metal like, Jacket. he keeps coming back to anti-war in, sentiment, you know? Yeah. He makes his politics clear and I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And it's like, um, it's tri- like, it's one of those films I, I do wish I had seen earlier because yeah. like it's only blunted by the fact that I've seen a lot of war movies Yeah, and I've seen them. I've seen a lot that riffed off this. So, and I've even read a lot of like war fiction, like in school. So this is very like reminded me of Journey to End quite a bit. And I know this is based off a book that I haven't yeah. read, but like it's reminiscent of like the literature around that time. Um, and it's just, but you know what? It's just frustrating to watch a movie like this because like, it's not even that far removed from World War One, but it was long enough that we could look back and see the faults and follies of the people in charge and what they did and how they treated human lives yeah. and the men on the field that disposable. And we'd look at these, we watch these movies and we look back and like, how could we? And like, how terrible, how tragic. And like, but we still do that. We still live this way. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't ever learn. And yeah. I think maybe that's the most frustrating thing watching war movies because it just shows you the deep, the deepest, darkest depth that humanity can think to. Yeah. And know that we've we've never been able to like write above it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> path of glory. I, I, I hundred percent agree with that. Like, uh, this is a film that I did see. I don't know. I was like a teenager. I watched it like years and years ago. Again, I've brought this up before. Like, um, where I had there was like a cinema in my hometown that um, my good friend who I've mentioned to you I, I guess i've talked about on the podcast a little bit who was like worked in hollywood and then came back to mm-hmm. my hometown and reopened this old theater and um he would ju- just like let us go and watch all these like films and stuff at times like on the on the screen um when the place was closed we would just go watch it because it was a good it's like why not you have access to a cinema why not so yeah we watched paths of glory there um once and it was like just yeah blew me away but like things I forgot about it, like because it's the maybe second or third time I've seen it now. Funny mm-hmm. enough, like I don't think I've watched it since I was quite a bit younger. And like things I didn't realize were that they weren't American for whatever reason. I like just compl- yeah, that's like, a weird bit. I mean, me they're meant to be French. French. Yeah, <laughs> they're French, but everyone played by like a British or American. Yeah, guy. which is funny. Um, total of the time, it's like yeah, fuck it. Uh, and then. Uh, other things, yeah. I I kind of like you said, like uh, like like I forgot about how it just turns straight into like you know courtroom drama. Like you know, I I knew there was that the whole thing there, but I thought it was more of like I thought there was more in the trenches and stuff, like from memory. But yeah, but the stuff you get in the trenches are just incredible. Like just Dude, the shots, like those, like 
tracking c- dolly shots and stuff. And then I couldn't believe it watching that. It's like watching 2001 where you're like, how did they do this? They would yeah. never do it like this now. But also like for a movie that's very dialogue heavy, yeah. more about the conversation than the bureaucracy of war. Mm. That's just a knockout spectacular action sequence right near the beginning. Yeah. Where they do the, the climb, you know, into no man's land and yeah. the attack on the anthill and the calling at the anthill. It's amazing. as yeah. well. Just like it's completely insignificant. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, that whole sequence and it's done pretty much in silence. I mean, not in silence, like with no dialogue, obviously. it's just explosions, explosions, yeah. explosions and drumming and drumming and drumming and it's nonstop. And it's really like, it's horrifying. It's really anxiety-inducing, yeah. and you're just, just watching the fucking way the people. The camera's just like following it. It's just yeah, like and people shit. just and and it's just people falling, yeah. falling, falling. People falling on top of each other. Yeah, it's just you blame no one you for like running away. Yeah. Oh, being in '57, so you forgive it for its faults. But there was a really good like moment, which I always love finding things like that in someone who's like a bit of perfectionist, like Kubrick. Like I think I brought this up like ages ago on the podcast how there's like a really funny moment in 2001 a space odyssey that i'd never noticed until we watched the un uh the unrestored 70 millimeter Mm. print that we have um at the very beginning like the dawn of man scenes like you could almost see like the monkey suits like the the fact that they are suits and then there's like i feel like you could see the edge of how this like the set like where it just it got picked up like you could tell yeah, it's a yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. Like so it was like stuff like that. that. Yeah. There's a really funny moment in that scene, like where the, all the explosions are going on. Like it just shoots and it's like it just went to it cut to like um the scene or I don't even know. I mean, maybe there weren't any cuts or anything. I'm not sure, but there was like the camera catches clearly a dummy laying there, and it's just like yeah. for so long that it's like you could tell that it's a dummy. That it, like it's, it's I remember waiting that to be yeah, blown yeah. up. And it's just like, it's kind of funny because it's like, oh, I, I, he must have been like, fuck that goddamn dummy. <laughs> and yeah, and just cut it off just like a little bit before he would have got away with it. But it's yeah. just like, it's right there. And you can't <laughs> ignore it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that sequence, it, it's cool. kind of incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and but I like that it's like the, the setup. Like any other movie, that would be the ending. Yeah. Um, but like, it it works because it's the whole you know event that they're talking about that they're defending that they're and it's like all the people you know accusing them aren't there mm. but we were there with them so we know yeah what it was like and we completely understand we would never call them we would never call it cowardice yeah um and the fact that he's like they fucking I fucking hate everybody in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Kirk Douglas, like, but even Kirk Douglas has these moments, like where I, I mean, I'll, yeah, continue your thought. I'll come just, back. Just like that. just like everyone above his level, yeah. like the um, what do you call it? Like all the superior officers. Could he? Yeah, yeah general and shit. Can he like like a colonel? Yeah, and, like, whatever captain shit. But they, they fucking hate all these people with their twirly mustaches and high ceiling. They're just yeah. like looking down. It's so overt in this movie. Like they're literally like partying and drinking every yeah. time they like come in and they're like, oh, how can we help you? And it's just like, yeah. my men are dying, sir. It's the same <laughs> thing though. Like, you know, cause you said it's still going on, but it's not even like, it's not even contained to war. It's literally like, just think about here in the UK and the, 
during the fucking pandemic, people are fucking dying. And then there's like, you know, the Tory party having fucking parties and yeah, stuff. Yeah, literally, dude. It's number 10. And then like there's footage that comes out and you can see them clearly just hanging out, drinking and stuff, having a great time. And it's just like, fuck you, man. Fuck all of you. <laughs> and yeah. It's like it's horrible. So fucking transparent. Yeah. Fuck you. All these people living in their laps of luxury, just talking about how in their literal ivory tower, how it's like, oh, like you know, it should be done this way, but you're not. We're gonna win this. You're not doing anything. Fuck off! Like (laughs) it can be done. It can be done. It's like no, it's literal. Uh, But no, I was gonna say that uh, Kirk Douglas, you know, he's he's tremendous in this film. He looks great. Like I love that they shot. Like the first shot is literally like him with no shirt on and apparently that was like fan service because like they wanted to give the girls they needed it like you know it's the first Ooh, shot and then they him, just... like his chest just like barreled chest motherfucker he looks great his hair looks on point he just looks great oh he got the um, great attack yeah. everybody got like really bad hair yeah obviously <laughs> but he had amazing hair for someone who's in a fucking world with one bunker it's yeah like perfectly quaffed yeah yeah amazing. it's great yeah but anyway i was gonna say though his his arc is kind of interesting because obviously he's your entry point and you're like feeling bad for him because he's like the one who's stuck in between of like, you know, he's being forced to do these things, these impossible things. But instead of like just saying like, no, he still goes forward with these things and like. Because he, otherwise he, he gets shot, dude. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like that thing of like, he's still, he's still like complicit. You know what I mean? Like in, at the end of the day, like, and even at the end of the film, you get to the end where he doesn't take the general spot, like when basically yeah, he tells him kindly like, to shove him up and not. Yeah. yeah, but he still that he still oh my has God, to go back guy... and he still has to like continue leading this war effort that he knows is just bullshit. And it's just like it's the whole thing is just sucks, you know. It sucks, man. There's such sadness to his character, and I was yeah. thinking about that, especially at the end where I'm like, there's no way out. Like, yeah. what does he do? He's not going to take this position because he's not like these people. Yeah, and he refuses to turn into one of these people, and like the fucking insinuation that that's what he was doing the whole time it's like <laughs> thickening yeah and like that would be enough to like not take the job but yeah and the fact that it, he feels just i guess helpless at the mm-hmm. end and just like you're in a war and you're in it until you you die or you win yeah yeah and the only way out is to push everyone else underneath you to certain death and it's just oh man it, it and that's why it's a good like story to follow these three people who are you know sent into a firing squad mm. and like they're just waiting to die and it's like you could say that about any of these people yeah right they're just waiting to die they're just waiting to be shot and like it deals with like all the really fucking harmful attitude at the time like when the i forget the the, the guy who like set them up for the mission because he wants the promotion i forget his name you just said it um Bureau? Miro, yeah. General Miro. Miro? It, it's a French name, but he's not French, so it's very confusing. But when he goes and he's seeing his men and he had like no connection with them whatsoever, and he meet the guy with shell shock. Yeah. And he's like, there's no such thing as shell shock. And he'd like slap them and he'd like, make sure he fucking transported out. Yeah, off, get him out, out of here. <laughs> transported out of here. He'll, he'll infect the others, basically. Yeah. And it's like, that fucked up, man. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's no. There's just something so like helpless and bleak about it. Like, but there's a bit of hope at the end. But like the moment of like the three guys just like sitting in a room, just saying that they don't want to die, and then being marched to the fucking dick. It's just, oh man, 
that shit was tough. That yeah. shit was really tough to watch. Definitely. Just because they show it too, it's just like fuck. <laughs> and like, it's just blood. It's so blood. Yeah. It's just it's all this build up, and it. You done. just keep thinking they're gonna be saved, and they're just not. Like yeah, so you're waiting for someone to run out and be like, yeah. actually, I have the paper right here. Yeah, that cleared you three men. Yeah, and one of them, and like just to, to fucking make it worth, one of them is not even conscious when it happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, the whole thing Christ, just, just pitch him, him on the die. cheek. You know, you want to make sure that he's awake for this, and it's like fuck off. Jesus uh, Christ! You want to be, you want to make sure he's awake for when you kill him. Shoot him. Uh, yeah. Your men died wonderfully. Yeah, that's the worst. That's the worst. That's the that worst piece line. of shit. Your men died wonderfully. This guy just like, you know, like again, like literally eating like a fucking in his fucking he, face or whatever, like you know, buttering his bread. Oh, yeah, piece of shit. Paths of Glory is based on the 1935 anti-war novel of the same name by Humphrey Cobb. The book was a minor success when published, and it was based loosely on a true story of the Suwain Corporal's Affair when four French soldiers were executed in 1915 during World War I under General Giraud uh, Reveliac. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> for the failure to follow orders, the soldiers were exonerated posthumously in 1934. The novel would be adapted into a stage show on the same year of its publish, but it was a flop due to its harsh anti-war sentiment. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. The novel was a bit of a hit, but not not the play. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of thing because like apparently like there, I, I guess there were like these sort of like executions that would be taking place, uh, even like like American soldiers and British soldiers and stuff. So like these things did happen, but I think one of the things that was kind of not really true to like real life of what would have happened was like the whole drawing lots sort of thing, like drawing straws, like, you know, just picking like randomly. Like, I don't think that was ever a thing that was ever done, but um, it's interesting. Like this film to name another shitty uh, British politician. Sorry. Um, but like, uh, what's his name? Winston Churchill and, uh, <laughs> basically said that this was a really realistic look at the trenches in World War I and was pretty mm. affected by the film when he saw it. Uh, Kubrick had just come off directing his third feature, The Killing, and the film wasn't a success at the box office, but it did get it had picked up a lot of like critical praise. A man by the name of Dory Sherry, who was the head of production at MGM liked the film and he hired Kubrick and his producing partner at the time, James B. Harris to develop stories from their piles of scripts and purchase novels. Kubrick and Harris like went through everything, but they didn't really find anything that they liked. So they decided to adapt past the glory because Kubrick had read it when he was 14 years old and it made a really big impact on him. So despite there being no interest in the product, even with uh, Sherry who doubted the success Kubrick and his partners purchased the film rights from Cobb's widow for $10,000. So Paso Glory, it does take place in France, but Kubrick's feelings on the topic stem more from his American upbringing. Uh, mm. It's hard to believe, like, or you always, I kind of forget that Kubrick is American, even though I know that, but it was just the fact that he lived in Britain for so long. Yeah, he like, quickly, yeah. quickly moved to Britain. Yeah. Yeah. He probably spoke with an accent like fucking Madonna. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, when General Moreau says, show me a patriot, I'll show you an honest man, uh, Colonel D- 
Dax remarks. Oh, uh, hit reply. As Samuel effect. Johnson once said, "Patriotism is the last refuge refuge of the scoundrel." Just like oh, scoundrel. Yeah, Julie and I were watching that, and that just clearly made like we're just like, God damn, <laughs> like <laughs> on point. I wish like I really do wish that like more people who it's funny like. And that's why I feel like we need to talk about. I said I want to add in another film that we The we, Patriot. We, no. <laughs> no. Um I wanted to add in another film later on. Um, because we we know that we're heading down a, a track here with these war movies and like they get more and more intense as we go on. This is like pretty fucking intense to start out with. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it it's clear from the beginning that it's it's like fuck war this shit sucks and like it's never a good time and i felt like it would be a good start to go with this film in this war season especially if we were going to try to be cron pot about it and we get to like you know (laughs) go starting from world war one this is a great Mm -hmm. example but like the thing that we compromised over was that we wouldn't do kubrick's other very infamous war film. War film, yeah. From one per director. Vietnam. <laughs> and I felt like when we were w- watching this film the other night, and then as you and I were talking and stuff, I was like, we have to do it almost. Because it's like, it only adds, it's like, oh my God, there's so much you could talk about with that film because it's really interesting. It was shot here in London actually as well. Mm. But then there's also the, the fact that like, people who really gung-ho about war and protecting their country and patriotism and all that sort of stuff like it's literally this patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel line that really spoke to me and i was like fuck dude like i wish more people could hear stuff like that because they get so obsessed with like these war films and like you know they they watch it a completely different way and i think that's what's so interesting and no no movie has ever been watched completely wrong by like a whole generation of young men than Full Full jacket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm open to it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, especially just like, because there's like 20 years, 30 years even between Mm. this film and that film. And for him to make another, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then like, make to make another anti war film in a completely different era, a completely different time, and a completely different war. Yeah. And like, and also like stylistically do it completely different, but like still maintain the same message. I think it's very interesting mm-hmm. for what for one guy to be able to do that. Um, sure. I just sure. you know if we're gonna be talking about things in poor taste, we may as well go you know double barreled with it. You know, down the rabbit blazing hole, and uh, you know have a poor taste question like this where, I mean, I'll give my answer, but like, what's your favorite war that war movies are based on? Because like, fuck dude, Vietnam, Vietnam right? It has to be Vietnam. Great movies. <laughs> it's a great, great movie and a great, yeah. moment, again, Star Wars, Predator. It like, it transcended just the genre yeah. of war movies. Like Vietnam changed the culture and Vietnam with the, it's the most like the, complicated like war. Exactly, it's the first so time where they lost. Yeah. So there's no need that no you can't look at it at this like. Yeah. Sorry, America, you like, fucking lost. There wasn't a fucking like it, stalemate or anything. Like you just yeah. you weren't winning that war. <laughs> you can't you can't look at it with that like patriotic patriotic 
yeah. lens and be like, yes, and we fought for our country and we defeated the bad guys and we came out on top and we saved. Yeah. We, you know, we brought freedom and democracy to the people. That's literally not what happened there. Yeah. Um, a lot of shit was happening. Yeah. So it's just, I think that it's the most fruitful in terms of, yeah, movie. No. Oh, hi. So he's breaking into the bunker. <laughs> Did I look you out? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the dusty coming. Yeah. We'll edit that out because we can't let people know that we're not actually on the war front. <laughs> yeah. But I think that one is the most fruitful in terms of movie Munich. Yeah, especially Munich. Yeah. I think showed. The- the interesting Everything. thing about the Vietnam War is that, like, it was the the era where people like really start to change culturally in a way of like, you know, the way they look at war, and there was more of a shift in like a divide of people in terms of like patriotism and stuff and supporting war versus anti-war sentiments. Whereas back mm-hmm. then, when this film was made, it was like, you know, it was it was post World War Two, but it was still like in that era of where people, I don't know, like war films back in the day were like really very patriotic and very like, you know, let's support our boys and our troops and like, Mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And that's fine. And I'm like, I, you know, you want to support like troops in the sense of like, they are just young men who have been brainwashed into going into battle or they have no other, you know, resources and stuff. And so it's a way for them to like try to make, you know, so some sort of future for themselves is to join the military. And, you know, mm-hmm. in some respects, it is good for some people, but then they get sent off into wars and stuff, unfortunately. And it's just like, a, it's no good could ever come from it. Yeah. Um, fighting battles that aren't there yeah. to begin but with. It's, it's just that whole thing of like the way, especially coming from America, the way like uh, it gets used in like America's like, America, fuck yeah you know going to say the motherfucking gay sort of mentality the way like the they jump into wars as well like you know world war one and world war two just joining the front like after kind of keeping away from it for a bit and then like you know just saving the day saving the day um but like it's it's just it's interesting like how the movies shifted and how this film has a very staunch like you know anti-war sentiment but like a lot of films of this era just really didn't like, you know, no, you know, no, you have those like John Wayne films, you know, like, hello, Pilgrim, like fucking like pick up the gun. Yeah. It's yeah. just, Oh God. I it's mean, it's very one sided and two dimensional. Yeah. Up until this point. Yeah. How we looked up war, even during when like war was, you know, the wars were going on and people went to the picture shows. I mean, they were just being bombarded with like, Propaganda. propaganda films and stuff you know like, yeah. like this is the, the war at home do your buy part. war bond you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah buy war bond donate scrap metal yeah. do your part uh god damn well parts of the screenplay were taken from uh Cobb's work verbatim however kubrick made several changes to the narrative of the novel and his adaptation most notably to the shift the focus on colonel dax as opposed to the soldiers who were killed so paris Farrell in a uh, Arnaud, and as in the novel, they were like kind of the main focus. The main character. Yeah, so sure. he sw- swapped it over to Dax. Kubrick had been working on the script with Jim Thompson, but eventually hired Calder Willingham to work on it. Willingham was like eventually, like he would go on to assist 
uncredited rewrites of like Bridge on the River Kwai. He did uh, Spartacus, and then he would also co-write One-Eyed Jacks and The Graduate. Uh, the specific oh, contributions by Kubrick, Thompson, and Willingham to the final script were actually disputed, and the matter went to an arbitration with the Writers Guild. Willingham claimed that Thompson had minimal involvement in the final script, claiming 99% of Pass of Glory for himself. When Thompson's draft screenplay was compared to the that one percent with the beginning, with the, <laughs> when you when we first see Kirk Douglas, he's like, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I everything else. Was you mine. think I would put a man without a shirt on? It's nineteen fifty seven, man. What yeah, I wouldn't put that filth on the screen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when they compared Thompson's draft screenplay to the final film, it was clear that Thompson had written seven scenes, including the reconnaissance mission and the soldiers the night before their executions by the firing squad, which are two of the fucking most, like, impactful scenes. So. Devastating scenes, yeah. Um, yeah, the reconnaissance mission scene is just horrible. That fucking guy, that piece of shit, just running just and running throwing away grenade, and killing his own man. Killing his own man. Yeah. In the end, the Writers Guild attributed uh, the script in order of Kubrick, Willingham, and then Thompson. Uh, Dory Sherry was fired from MGM in a major shakeup. But uh, Kubrick and Harris managed to get Kirk Douglas interested in the script that Willingham worked on. Uh, Douglas was impressed and managed to get an advance of $1 million for the budget from United Artists to help produce the film. So I guess he was like an executive producer on the film as well. And a third of that went to Kirk Douglas for his salary. So of course, <laughs> let's get into the cast. Obviously, Kirk Douglas is uh, Colonel Dax. Gregory Peck apparently was an earlier choice, but he turned down the role because he had committed to appearing in some play that would have clashed with the shooting. Uh, producer James B. Harris wanted to cast Jack Palance, which would have been pretty cool. Well, he, he looked yeah. the same. Absolutely. The same. Yeah, just the that fucking chisel. Thing. Fucking chin. jaw and butt chin. Um, mm. But yeah, Palance, chin. Palance, for whatever reason, wasn't interested. Some other names that were considered were Richard Burton, Charlton Heston and James Mason, and they all ex- they all like have that similar just fucking man face and body. <laughs> <laughs> they all have that look. Yeah, but yeah. Kirk Douglas is great though. He's he's really just on point. You know. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of um, Kirk Douglas stuff, but he he was very good, very classical. Yeah. Hollywood Golden Age actor, but very good. Yeah. Very good in that. Have you like, seen Spartacus? Powerful. No. Okay. Yeah. But I know the He's big, great, yeah. you know, reveal that he is Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's like, what's the point, you know? Is it spoiled by that thing you do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If it ain't Tom Everett Scott, I'm not interested. <laughs> Adolf uh, Minjo plays Gen- uh, Major General Brulard. An early critical test of Kubrick's obsession with control on set, Kirk Douglas said that uh, he made the veteran actor Adolf Minjo do the same scene 17 times. And Minjo said that that Until was my... Until he got it right, damn it. <laughs> he said, that was my best reading, Minjo announced. I think we can break for lunch now. And it was well past the usual lunch time, but Kubrick said that he wanted another take. Minjo went into an absolute fury... In front of Douglas and the entire crew, he blasted off on what he claimed was Kubrick's dubious parentage 
and made several other unprintable references to Kubrick's relative greenness and the art of directing actors. Kubrick merely listened calmly, and after Minjot had spluttered to an uncomplimentary conclusion, said quietly, All right, uh, let's try to do the scene once more. (laughs) With other docility, Minjot went back to work, and... Kirk Douglas said that Stanley instinctively knew what to do. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. And it's very clear. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not, not buying into that sort of thing. Like the director to have to do that. I feel like it's just no trust. Yeah. That like, it's a lack of trust and faith in your actor to, and you, you don't have to fucking punish them, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously you get that a lot in the shining. But, yeah. you know, it depends on the kind of thing. If he's not getting the performance he wants and he's dealing with a lot of old school guys who's like, no, we did it. That's that. It's like, no, there's other ways to play the theme, goddammit. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> but it worked, you know, in this movie. I mean, yeah. I mean, one did become an incredibly revered director. True. And, you know, and it when you watch the movie, everyone feels you're watching a lot of very realistic performance yeah like everyone feels very on edge and maybe having to do it 17 times (laughs) it's like what gets that yeah exactly so i understand the thinking but fuck me well especially if you just want some lunch you you think that's bad phil he made the prisoners do that scene for the last mill 68 times I don't believe you. You're fucking I'm not 68 fucking time. 68 time. And with that, I have to say goodbye, snack time. Hello, ration time. It's ration time. It's ration time. It's ration time. Russian time. It's Russian time. It's Russian time. It's Russian time. <laughs> Hello, Russian time, my old friend. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you what do you have this week for your ration? I've got another poor tape joke here. Okay. You know, we're talking about the the night patrol scene where the guy like accidentally killed one of his known men with a What did he kill him with? A grenade? Oh, did you a get grenade? A, <laughs> a grenade bar? <laughs> Come Carved on, man. Killer. I had to. Grenade <laughs> carb killer. It even says killer and on it. I know, with an A. And um, the flavor is appropriately enough. Fudged up. <laughs> and you know what? This movie had fudged up. Yeah. And, and that guy fudged War in up. general. <laughs> yeah. And the whole war thing, yeah. man. Fudged up. Fudged not up. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I've not tried this. I've not Very, had that one yet either. Yeah. I've seen it and I've been curious, but I've not had that one. I do like a grenade. You you had, you had said that they are good. Um, and mm. I had one for a snack time once. I can't even like break a piece off it's so like fudgy I have to take a bite 
passing it off. Yeah. Have a bite. What do you think? Hi. <laughs> it's too much. Too much. It's too much, right? It's kind of it's disgusting, very actually. It's it like, um, no, it's bad. <laughs> it's not, it's bad. It doesn't even pretend to be like a, like a protein bar. Yeah. It's just like a big, heavy chocolate bar. I thought these were actually like quite good, though. The sugar's really low. The protein's mm. high. I mean, but you I'm need that. You need this that is in not war. the superior grenade bar. You need it in war. You need yeah. the energy. The superior yeah. ones, the the one that I always get. What's the, what's the flavor that I get? Dusty, this is this is wartime. We're not going to get things that aren't are are superior here. This is this is war. He's saying this is war, and we're not going to get the good flavor. Oh. <laughs> oh, hence grenade. I get it. I get it. It's a war season. Yeah. It's just in poor taste. Fuck, that's funny. <laughs> you think that's funny? No, it's not poor taste. I'm going to leave the house. Okay. okay. <laughs> what do you have? Sir? Well, shit. Oh, okay, well, grenade. How many? Well, fuck. How many grenades are you are you throwing at your poor unsuspe- unsuspecting uh, privates? How many do you give it, honey? What do you rate it? How many, what out of what? How many grenades? Out of how many? Five? Five. Two, purely because it has protein in it, so it's like it has nutritional content. Okay. But otherwise, it'd be a one. It's bad, yeah. Okay. How about you? I love you. <laughs> <laughs> how about you? I'll agree. Two? All right. It's good, yeah. It's not as good as some of the other flavors I've tried. All right. Um, I don't really, yeah, fudge in general, I feel like it can be overkill. And you know what else is overkill? War. War. Gun. What was it good for? What was it good for? Hollywood rations. movies. Rations. Well, we because it's we rations. Oh, um, you son of a bitch. I just thought what it was. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I'm trying to stick to like of the times, you know, I was looking up and see like what, you know, what American soldiers, because I'm American, were eating on the front lines and, and their ration kits in World War One, And one of Not the, the things, French? <laughs> well, No. Uh, one of the things that they were eating, it was, uh, and you better be glad, I mean, because good God, I'm worried that people might think I have mad, mad cow disease and they would have really been worried well, about me if I would have gone with what the British people were eating. So there's a thing called Makinoki soup or stew or something, Makinoki stew that was like mm-hmm. a uh, a weird beef stew with potatoes and some shit in it. And apparently it was like just boiled and it mm. wasn't like there was no seasoning or anything, and it sounded pretty it was fucking just disgusting. Everything you needed, yeah. yeah. And uh, apparently, it was had a reputation of being a bit of a man killer. Now, the way I read that, I thought it was because it literally was killing people because it was bad yeah. for them and stuff. Because like sometimes maybe it wasn't cooked properly or something. Yeah, that's why I'm taking it. In. But then Julius was explaining this to her. She was just like, "Oh, because like you know it." fired people up to kill more men i was like fuck dude oh, maybe i don't that's know that's way better hit me up i mean could that that's the a PCC real thing podcast. but that's yeah. not what i got i got from the right american the perspective a can of corned beef Classic, and it's like bro. the old school you got the key got the twi- key you got the twisty fucking, turn. how do you even open this thing how do you open this how do you open this do you know how to open this phil no, I would have answered. I don't know. <laughs> what is the key for? Do they have like a ring on it? Like there is a ring, but pole, it's like like a pole tab. Yeah, but do you open it from there? This is how like 
privileged I am. I've never had to open up a can of corned beef. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to have to like put a pause on this snack time <laughs> while I try to figure it out. You're supposed to like hold it like this and then just like twist it. Oh, oh I might actually have it. Oh, there we go. I do have it. Oh, okay. you did it. Cool. I'm doing it. Oh, I see. And you. Here we go. Oh, God, this is going to be so disgusting. It only took a week on the front line for you to be able to open your ration. <laughs> so, yeah, you just. Thank God. Now you can way. eat. <laughs> and it goes. I don't around. know why they didn't give you a grenade bar, bro. This was really easy to get into. Yeah, you're lucky. I mean, yeah, so far I'm the lucky one. War is interesting like that, you know. You get a piece of chocolate, which, you know, fair enough. People do get oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it just it smells disgusting. <laughs> oh dude, it looks disgusting. Oh my god, dude. Can you take a photo of that? <laughs> yeah. I'm a big boy. I opened up my Oh dude, that's so gross. It's just like a thick Ball, like cube of like nondescript meat. Well, Phil, I mean, you know, you know, you got to keep energized. We're doing this war season. You got to keep. It does not look good at all. It kind of like I feel like I'm about some to salt eat on that thing. Dog food. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no, it's bad. They're really bad. You know, you like. Know what? <laughs> It kind of reminds me of like, funny enough, the consistency of like, uh, like, have you ever had like canned salmon? No, I actually like canned salmon and I like will use it like, I mean, it's pretty good. Like, you know, you could put it on like a cracker, like just take out and spread it on crackers. It's pretty decent. Sure. Or like you can make like salmon cakes. Like I quite make like making those where, you know, just make it into a patty with some flour and some egg and. You throw in some vegetables you want and bake them, and they're fucking good. It has that consistency when you're like eating it and stuff, and even slightly the smell, but like the taste, it's like, yeah. Not great. Not great. I would feel bad like having to eat that. It's funny because like corned beef is like such a thing in America, like with these like classic like sandwiches and stuff, like a Reuben or something like that. With these like weird corned beef sandwiches or whatever, but yeah, that's. Well, oh you better god. finish it, bro. Oh my god, I'm not gonna get another. One. <laughs> I gotta go. I feel Keep like going. I feel like this is like the perfect ration snack to have because it's like you 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 really feel like. Could you imagine yeah, if that's you're in the trench. You <laughs> it's so it's such a tragedy. That's so depressing. Yeah, it's so depressing, dude. It really makes you feel like you're in a war. That's how bad it is. Do you, it makes you feel like you're in do I, a war. You don't even have to be in the trenches. Do I have to eat it? Do you think I should eat it all? I mean, if that, oh. you, or you can wait till you can wait. Oh, Steve's in there. Steve loved it. <laughs> She's like, of course, she does. Do she like no. This? this is like the pepperami. Remember that? Oh you yeah. Want you want it? I don't know if I should be feeding my cat this like gross ass looking ration. Beef. Um, how come you? How come they let you take bring the cat? 
I, you know, I basically told told him that she was like a really good editor and stuff, like, and she could pick up the slack oh, yeah. if I, you know, if I get shot or something. Drop the so. ball, yeah. If you like loot an arm or something, you don't have to finish it. You just have to wait until next week, and maybe the ration time next week will be better. <laughs> but it's a new war. I mean, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe it should evolve by then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. How many how many court marshals do you give it? <laughs> Uh, I mean, for sustenance, for sustenance alone, for nutrition, on the front, like, I'm giving it at least a one. It's gonna keep you alive, bro. But like, other than that, I'm gonna wish that I was dead. <laughs> Here she comes, Steve. You don't want this. <laughs> That's amazing. You could just pick her up one-handed, like fuck it. <laughs> Oh, God. oh man, that was a good that was a good ration time. Yeah. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, <laughs> ah, that's a horrible food. Do you think it'd be better with anything? Maybe. Maybe they'll give you a condiment next time. Yeah, maybe some salt or something. I don't know. Uh, a bit like a one sachet of ketchup. I mean, I can imagine you can trick yourself into thinking it's okay if you put it on a sandwich with like some cheese and like some mustard or something. <laughs> Yeah, but you're not going to get that. Yeah, not on the front, you know. No. Nah. Maybe next week I'll have some, like, you know, oat cakes to dip it in or something. I don't know. All right. Know. Yeah, I think that's allowed. Although they do have those famously, like, hard cakes that were, like, oat, these weird, like, oat cakes that would just, like, break your teeth <laughs> if you didn't dip it in water before. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, so, I, I was so tempted to just have, like, a drink, you know, like they, it's just like, yeah, take a swig of this, it's a lot of that. It's like, oh, shut up, have a drink. Yeah. Well, George McCready plays the shithead Brigadier General Moreau. I mean, he's good at the role. I don't know he's a lot of good. these guys. This film's like, I want to really punch old. every mustache, yeah, off every face in yeah. the movie. He's yeah, I don't know any of the actors beyond Kirk Douglas. Yeah, they're all good. Wayne Morris plays Lieutenant Roger who is the guy who kills Private Lejeune on the reconnaissance mission. Ah, uh, so, that dude is the worst. Total asshole. Yeah. And then we have the three accusers. Ralph, and then sent that dude up to die. Yeah, yeah, picks him uh. just so he shuts up. And there's so many, like, you know, people trying to grasp at straws, like, hey, like, you know, uh, this happened. Can you help me out by getting me out of this? Because this happened, and then, like, nothing ever comes I, of it. It's like no it one ever matter, gets saved. At yeah. the end, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. no one getting saved. It's just people killing, like killing each other, yeah. and hurting each other. It's That's like, why it doesn't I was help. Kind of saying, like you know, is I know he has no other choice, but Kirk Douglas is sort of like complicit in some of this because he's just a part of yeah, it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He uh, is. Well, there's the three accused. There's Ralph Meeker who plays uh, Corporal Philippe Paris, Joe Turkle who plays Private Pierre Arnaud, and then Timothy Carey who plays Private Maurice Farrell, who's crying a lot that that dude's amazing yeah he's really good he's he's like the hardest one to watch because he got like such a like soft dopey face yeah he looks like a real person like who shouldn't be there i was reading something like and i for for whatever reason i didn't like write it down or anything but there was a there was a thing like apparently where he was like his his overacting was 
like kind of spurred on by Kubrick. I think he was kind of poking it him worked. to keep it totally going. Work. But it apparently, the only one who does that, it was pissing off like um, Kirk Douglas, and it was like Kubrick really? kept like adding, like you know, I think like Kirk Douglas thought it was a bit like you know too much, and then like Kubrick just sure, kept poking him, like keep going, it, keep going. It totally worked though. It really fucking worked, yeah. especially at the end when he'd like with a blindfold and just like yeah. he's the only one moving. Yeah. You know, and because one of them is unconscious and one of them is trying to keep a brave faith. Yeah. And he's just sort of, you know, crying. It, he's about to die. Like, mm. I don't think you could overwreck that. Do you want to hear something kind of funny? Yeah. He was fired during production. For overacting? <laughs> no, he was reportedly just extremely difficult to work with during uh, okay. the shoot. And he even. Oh, no. Faked his own kidnapping. <laughs> Holding up the whole production. I love this guy even more. What? <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't find the details. That story just kept coming up, but I never could find the actual details of what happened. But he faked mm. his own kidnapping and it helped held up production. And he was replaced in the in the scenes remaining to be shot with a double. So there's like oh wow, literally a double the scene where he's not even in it. Yeah, which is. <sighs> Was this just like a prank that he did on every film? Set? I don't know. I don't know what his thinking was. Maybe like I, I, I was like, I don't want to like go down a rabbit hole here this early on. But I liked that 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 that, that was the thing. That was hilarious. Well, what if he was kidnapped though? Maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> maybe Kirk Douglas was like, gonna they get tried rid to of this guy. Kirk. He's he's yeah. Fucking. Well, maybe they're trying to blackmail Kirk Douglas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got money. Yeah. He's the fucking superstar in this film. Exactly. Uh, and then there's Christiane, Christiane Harlan, who is the German at girl the end. at the end, who sings the song, The Faithful Hussar. Um, that's great Kubrick's thing. wife. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, which is weird. Yeah, they fell in love. Uh, they met when they were making this film. They fell in love. Um, or he fell in love with her. He divorced his second wife. <laughs> and married Christiane. But the thing is, they had two kids together and they were together until his death in 1999. And she's very much a part Must of... Must have been something there. You know, <laughs> the Kubrick Foundation as well as his daughter. So yeah, you know, it's cool. I cut like, that's such a... She's really... Obviously, she's very, very good in this film. Yeah. And that's like... That's such a good example of like, very small but memorable role. I yeah. think that it almost steals the movie. I, f- I feel like if I forget everything else about this movie, I'll remember the end. Yeah. Because it's so, it turned on a dime. So it's terrifying at first with all these like men just like yelling and hounding this poor woman who's been dragged up on stage, forced to fucking entertain them. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to sing. Yeah. And then the whole room starts to listen and then they join her. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, it gave me me goosebumps. It's just like, it's fucking incredible. Like, one ending and no no word. And like, I love the last line of the movie being, just give them a few more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let them enjoy this moment because they're about to go right back to war. Back into the shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, she's good. She's good. And it's a really good moment. There, There was a moment I had, like, when I was watching that, like, and just a lot of aspects to this film because when it turns into like the war like sorry the uh courtroom drama aspect of the film and stuff and then the whole like 
you know, leading up to the, you know, execution and all that. Like, it feels like a good amount of time is passing during this. I mean, obviously, it's happening really quick. It's like within, the, yeah. you know, within a day or so. But it's like, aren't you in the war? Like, <laughs> like what? Why? What is happening? How are you? War is slow, man. It's how are you afforded all this? Like, you're just. They've been in that trench for a year. You're just having. And they have so much time for the colonel to just keep going back to the city. Yeah. And like, who's driving him back and forth to the line? On the Germans, like, where are these cars coming from? Yeah, yeah, you got way too much time in there. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, the original ending of the film saw Kubrick and Jim Thompson have like a happy ending. Um, so they were going to be a little bit more commercial to the general public, where the men's lives were saved from the execution, and like that would be done by the last minute by the general that obviously, you know, he hands over that information to the general to say like, Hey, yeah, you know, uh, the general Moreau was bomb, like basically or trying to order, you know, a shooting and, and whatnot to, man, to yeah. our own men because he wanted to get them back out and keep going and stuff. And he ordered this and I have information and there's, you know, people who sworn, sworn statements. statements saying that, you know, this had happened. Um, and then, you know, the idea and you think it's going to happen that like he's going to save them. And then it turns out actually it was just like, oh, I thought you were just giving me that so that you could get yourself into his job. But you're just as weak as him, you know, and it's just like, Jesus Christ, mm. man, who's the real baddie here? But anyway, these, yeah, just people. <laughs> <laughs> these uh, changes were reversed back more closely to the original novel by the band of Kirk Douglas. He, he was just like adamant that we just do the original ending. It's got to be grim. Yeah. Uh, producer James B. Harris then had to inform the studio executive, Max E. Youngstein, that, you know, and risk rejection of the change. So basically what he did was he simply sent the entire final script delivered without a memo of the changes. So I think there was like, <laughs> they basically had... The like the the happy original ending, and then like in, I don't, I think there must have been like okay, this is the new ending attached to yeah, it. Yeah, they as just well. rewrote it. Yeah, yeah. But the assumption was that nobody at the studio was going to read it, and apparently That's they smart. were right. Nobody noticed. So. Yeah. <laughs> just don't. Just don't. Yeah. It's just they they're not going to notice. Just do what you want. Yeah, and I think by the time they filmed it and they you know were showing it, I guess the studio was fine with it, so they were like, okay, yeah, it's going to have this pretty grim ending. Uh, Kubrick's camera work and audio cues were used to create a sense of realism, making it easier for the audience to sympathize with the plight of the soldiers. He kept pace with the soldiers during the battle sequences, like I was saying, like, you know, just following them along the field and in the trenches. And he shot in black and white to make it look like the footage from trench warfare footage in World War One. So that was sort of all like stylistically done. And I think that was a thing that a lot of people thought, like even I think even like uh, Kirk Douglas didn't think that this film would make any money. He just thought it was an important story to tell. Uh, so to make it. yeah, they thought that like, you know, doing it in black and white would only hurt it as well. Cause this is the age of like films were like in beautiful Technicolor and like, you know, just yeah. like it, it was becoming like a bit of a telling point. Yeah. An old thing to have like, you know, black and white movies. So Kubrick also used a lot of wide shots in the interiors and the exteriors of the command post. So when you see like, you know, all these generals and stuff at their fucking palace, it's like every 
you see every decadent piece of furniture and jewels Fucking or baubles that the massive. senior officers are wearing as opposed as opposed to like the grim conditions of the trench where the shots are a lot tighter there's a lot of close-ups and point of view shots used in the trenches and then notably like the tracking shots following dax through the trench to make the viewer film oh, cramped and suffocated that, that, that shot's amazing so and like, yeah and like they're like almost like buried into the wall yeah like soldier and you just you see like maybe a bit of smoke there a gun move there but an interest him walking into the smoke yeah it's just oh it's incredible yeah, they had to make the trenches a little bit bigger than a trench was in world war just one to fit a just camera to fit the camera down in there <laughs> but like yeah it's like pretty realistic otherwise Despite taking place on France's Western Front, Paz of Glory was filmed in Germany, especially in the Schleisham Palace. It was basically banned from filming in France, like hence the reason why they filmed in Germany. Around 600 <laughs> German police officers were used as extras for soldiers. Uh, for the construction of the battlefield, Kubrick hired 5,000 square yards of land from a local farmer. Uh, it took Kubrick a month to set up the filming of the assault and arranging props and tearing up the field to look like a war zone. Mm. Paths of Glory premiered in Munich in November 1957 before being released in December 1957 in the United States. It basically just broke even, barely making back its $1 million budget. But again, Kubrick had a critical success on his hands, and this would lead him to move on to One-Eyed Jack starring, starring Marlon Brando, which he would drop out of before Brando took over to direct and then his relationship with Kirk Douglas that he built in this film uh, saw him being hired to direct the Douglas-produced Spartacus. So that's how he got onto Spartacus. Uh, much like with the filming, the film was uh, banned in France on release. So both active and retired personnel from the fr- uh, French military heavily criticized the film and the portrayal of the French army. Uh, I think they kind of knew that it was going to be, you know, like an anti-war sort of sentiment based on the fact that like the book that they were adapting anyway. And then I guess a lot of them didn't see it until it was like released in Switzerland and stuff or, but like still, I think it was kind of banned in Switzerland as well. So it was like, yeah, it was a lot of people basically weren't on board with this and it was, wasn't shown in France until 1975 when anti-war attitudes were more acceptable. Uh, Mm. It was withdrawn from the Berlin Film Festival to avoid relations with France. And then um, in Spain, the fascist government of Francisco Franco objected to the film. And it wasn't shown until 1986, 11 years after Franco's death. It was also banned in Switzerland until 1970. And it was banned in all U.S. military establishments due to its contents. (laughs) Wow. But hey, Paths of Glory. That's it. Where are you feeling? The war film. We're in like I'm feeling World War One. How are you feeling? Are there any other World War One films that you like appreciate or anything? Wonder Woman. Like <laughs> you know, how many times do I have to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a. I mean, it's a good one to start, but yeah. also like, you know, it doesn't didn't fucking bury the lead. It just it came right out with like, yeah, this is just going to be dark and depressing and just really like either completely fill you like refill your faith in humanity or completely take it away yeah and this is one of those movies where it's just like you're just because you're in a world where like it's gone it's just ever all that compassion and like like humility and empathy it's just dead 
Yeah. And it's just like lives are completely meaningless and it's just, it's unbearable to sit through. Another World War One movie I really like is, but it's not really a war movie. Is it World War One even? Um, uh, a Matter of Life and Death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that World War One? Um, but it's still, it's not strictly a war film. It's about a fighter pilot who crashes and dies. Um, and then it's set in the afterlife and it's him trying to essentially bargain for his life. Mm. Yeah, I've not seen I've not seen that film. I'm kind of like Powell and Pressburger's films are really like annoyingly dark spot for me. Yeah. That one I would really recommend. Although, I love that movie. Second World War, apparently. Oh, never mind then. Okay. Save that for next week. <laughs> yeah, World War One I, I feel like it's fairly fairly um I mean, there's like Quiet on the Western Front, that's yeah. a big one. Uh, 1917, I mentioned, and it's uh, obviously a very, it's an engaging war film. Yeah. Obviously, but it, I, like, I don't think you're going to learn anything new from it, but it's a hell of an experience. Yeah. Um, that Peter Jackson one is supposed to be good. It's not a film, it's a documentary. The They Shall Not Grow Old, um, where he... Uh, recolorized a bunch of uh, World War One footage. Oh, okay. Um, and even that, like, I don't feel like you need that mm-hmm. to like. It doesn't need to be in color for me to be like, oh shit, that was fucked up. But he there's, there's a lot that he does to the footage, and it really is able to bring out the people in those film clips who yeah. have obviously long since passed. Um, but that's just off the top of my head. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I guess like one that sticks out for me that I think it's great is uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, oh, I've never seen it. Uh, I didn't even know that was World War One. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like because it's taken place in like in the Arab sort of front, like in and all that. Like it kind of like doesn't feel like it's a World War One film because you don't really. It's like the lesser told stories, I guess, of the world. <laughs> like you know, when it's not. Europe, but you know, it is called a world mm. war for a reason because it's all over the world. <laughs> but yeah, it's um yeah, during the in 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 like the British, you know, fighting in the Middle East and stuff. And it's like, yeah, Alec Guinness, Peter O'Toole, I mean, Omar Sharif, like incredible like cast, and it's a long film, but it's like <laughs> good, man. Like I, I would recommend if it ever comes back to the Prince Charles cinema, like to watch it on 70 millimeter. Cause like, that's the way to see it. That's the way you like, you know, just got to sit there and deal with it and just like, just being engrossed by it. And it's beautiful. It's like shot amazingly. David Lean's just incredible. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that one for me, but uh, yeah, this, this one though, uh, it's one on one of the, I mean, I picked it for a reason because I, I just think Paths of Glory is incredible film. Um, it was a good start, good way to start, and coming out the gates hot with uh, War Sucks. <laughs> so next week... <laughs> yeah, so we know that. <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know what? Phil and I, we actually get to take a leave next week from from the front. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But don't worry, we aren't going to AWOL yet. You know, it's not, it's not that we've had too much. It's just it's a special occasion. Made mention of it earlier that because of Phil's idea of doing a gimmick for next week uh that yeah we're gonna get an extra war film you're not getting out of your lightly film but uh we are talking about a uh sort of war movie but i i think it would be better if maybe we just leave it to like you know 
I will tell you what the next ones are going to be, but you're just going to have to wait, you know, <laughs> for the next one because, like, I can't tell you what this is because it will ruin the mm. gimmick. <laughs> yeah, but you get, trust me, you're going to love it. Yeah. I think it's funny. Yeah, Phil <laughs> thinks it's funny. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to, um, you know, support support your boys, uh, maybe get your boys back home soon. You can uh, support yeah. us over there at Patreon.com for one dollar. Sorry, one pound. For one, one pound euro, and up, one franc. One euro, one franc. I don't know wherever you're coming from. Uh, for our backers, one pound and up. Thor Love and Thunder is out there, and uh, for our four pounds and up backers. You just a few days ago, I'm sure it came out in the feed. I haven't edited it yet as I'm recording this, but I'm sure it's out there by now. The 1997 Tim Allen Family Classic oh, Jungle to Jungle is out there. Jung to Jungs to Jungs. I mean, that's going to make me feel good in this whole war season. I mean, he's at a war on two fronts, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a war thing. Yeah, God, I missed that day. <laughs> patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast PCC podcast you can hit us up at the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram send us uh, good feelings and good vibes and stuff or you can send us email podcast at uh, and Jonathan a ninth ration yeah send me some good something rations better. something better than uh, corned corn beef. beef Jesus Christ alright well Phil what are you getting up to in this week before we uh, record our next war film. Just saving my arc. They didn't, you know, they didn't let me bring my like hard drive and shit. I'm gonna just, just gonna keep going. Uh, I don't know when I'm gonna get to eat next. That's true. Yeah, don't know if I can edit edit out here on the on the front line. Jeez. Yeah. How far are you? <laughs> um, what you know, when before I would drafted, I was like, I got like forty minutes. Then. Forty minutes. Forty, yeah. You're just punishing yourself, aren't you? <laughs> Give it to like Stevie. It. I don't like it. At least it, it won't go to waste. Then don't eat it. I have to. It's my ration. The general <laughs> said if I don't finish it, then... They're going to shoot me. They're going to shoot me. They just keep shooting people here. Why? It does taste like I'm eating cat food. Yeah. Well, that's only fair, isn't it? Yeah, it was... After, after everything we've after been everything through? everything we've been through, that it was only fair that... Who did end up eating a lot of cat food? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> literally retching. Um, but yeah, I'm just gonna have my head between my legs and you know, trying to stay alive down here. Gone speed. I'm just gonna stay in the booth. Yeah, I think it's probably best nobody. If we just stay nobody touch me. Yeah, let's just stay in the booth. Yeah, I got a pack of cards. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the only game I know is War. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.